Blog Talk Radio. This is Marty Oakley of the PPJ Gazette Online, and of course tonight is our Monday night edition of Guardianship Abuse, and very shortly, Gar Sanders will be joining us to talk about the imprisonment of his brother and the efforts he has gone through trying to um, get him out of the situation he's in. In the meantime, I wanted to let you know about guests we have coming up. Of course, tomorrow night is Tom Field, that show is at 7 Central, and I'm hoping that Tom will talk about these reverse mortgages uh, and what's happening, how they're targeting the elderly with these, and um, uh, I think that would be of great interest to everyone. Of course, I think Tom will have a lot to say uh, about many things in that area. Uh, Then on uh, March 1st will be Dr. Woodhall. That's on the Tuesday night show. Um, she's got a PhD and a very, very educated and informed woman of situation here. On the 7th, Jamie Lamborn, and on the 8th, Tim Harmon's going to join us finally. Um, we, we've got a lot of ground we want to cover. Uh, since our last show, and, and especially since I first started everything, um, it just, uh, got to the point where so many people were calling from all over the country so many uh we've actually started having attorneys investigators calling that have been dealing with the issue of guardianship abuse and as bad as i thought this was initially it's far worse i I was just stunned at the stories i've been hearing and even when you find an attorney who is willing to do more with your money uh, but who will actually go to bat for you and try to fight what happens in these corrupt probate courts, um, they're they're attacked viciously. And um, we've had a couple of them that said that attempts have been made to um, uh, take their, their licenses and uh, to get them disbarred. And something uh, that was sent to me this week I found quite interesting by a gentleman out in uh, Oregon State uh, was that they determine the probate court what it, what's called a closed union shop. And in other words, if you don't belong to the bar association and you're not carrying that union card, which is basically what the bar association is, it's a union, um, and they can't issue you a license. If you're an attorney, the bar association cannot issue you a license. What they do is just uh, say you're accredited with the Bar Association. Of course, that's the British Registry. And the oath taken with the Bar Association is not an oath to the United States or to protect the Constitution of the United States and your rights. It is a low oath of loyalty to the British Crown. 
so we have basically a foreign agent operating in our courts. And then, of course, we have the courts backing this up and making sure no one can get in front of them who isn't carrying one of these union cards of the Bar Association. Uh, it's something they don't like people to know and they don't want to talk about uh, because they it's imperative for them to make you think that they are the only ones able to practice law in a court. I also found out that attorneys don't have to take the bar. What they can do is pri file for a private law license. And every state has provisions for this. Um, I was surprised to find that out because I just assumed you had to, um, to have one of these bar association cards. You learn something new every day. Um, I also was contacted by an investigator, of course, out in Washington that is investigating the uh, what she claims is a murder of Dorothy Griga and the theft of her estate. So, again, if anybody out there has any information about that, anything they know uh, that might not have been already uh, available, you know, please contact me through Truth Squad Radio at Gmail so I can get that information to her. Oh, and then uh it's just uh it's just been a wild week uh i i don't even know how to how to say it um so many people calling and the stories just seem to get worse 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 and um i i'm running out of things to tell but i'm trying very hard to, to get people to these groups that have already formed, to get them in touch with people. I hope they are contacting these support groups, um, hoping that there is uh, help there for them somewhere. Um, it just uh, It's just almost insurmountable. It, it seems like a monumental task trying to juggle everyone. But apparently what we're doing here was needed. People need a voice. They need a place to go. And as long as we can do it, we will. Uh, then um, there there has been uh, some reports going around, and I had published an article on the PPJ just here in the last few days about the how the probate courts are criminal racketeering. And wrote the article, and of course on the PPJ came the flock of trolls how the probate courts were the best thing that ever happened and people get all their assets. The court just has to make sure they were they get everything that they're supposed to get. And yet I found information where only 80% or at least 80% of those who have an inheritance that's sitting in probate get very little if they get anything at all. Uh, this is organized crime. I don't care how else people try to portray it or what they try to cover it up with. When you look at what's happening in these courts, these judges making up rules on the, on the spur of the moment that didn't exist before, sending people to jail for contempt of court, for challenging the court on some erroneous ruling they made that has no basis in law, and these courts are basically operating without any oversight. Now, there's a gentleman named William Wyndham who had filed against the uh, district court in Georgia. And he had even taken this to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said the corrupt courts in Georgia was not worthy of their time. And the second thing they did, because he filed asking them to demand um, 
what, uh, you know, if the Constitution, did, was the Constitution still in effect? And they issued a ruling to the effect that, no, it wasn't. Judges could make uh, any rendering they wanted to, even if it violated the Constitution, if they thought it was necessary, which basically says we have no constant in force. The other thing I discovered this week was something that Tim Larman had said to me in a conversation about being dead in the law, which my article covered. Everything I looked up on probate to define what probate was said it had to be testate or intestate. Uh, and it always included um, the reference to the fact that a death certificate had to be approved and it had to be accepted by the court. And every every definition I found of probate court was tied to this death certificate. And so I was thinking about that, and this is apparently why it's so necessary to not only kidnap these people, but to put them under these guardianships and conservatorships, which then take away all of their rights, because as Tim said, they are then dead in the law. What the probate courts are doing, actually, is treating the living person as though they have died. Otherwise, they have no authority to probate that estate. And that was one of the things that Chunk, you know, just kept nagging at me. I found also what's called the dead man statutes. And basically that is that no one can say anything um, on behalf of that supposed dead person. Nobody, nobody, because they consider it hearsay because the dead person can't speak. So you can't go into that court. This is, it also explains to me why they refuse to admit evidence. They refuse to, to look at anything that, that uh, refutes the guardian or the attorney's uh, assertions. They, this whole thing is pre predicated upon them rendering the living person as dead in the law. And they treat them like they're dead. It just, when I started putting these things together, because you always want to look behind everything and try to figure out how are they doing what they're doing? You know, how are they getting away with it? And they're getting away with it by twisting and contorting things and creating a fictional presence and a fictional set of rules that apply to a person who is living and breathing, but they have now decided is dead in the law. So that was uh, a real eye over me, and it tells me where else I need to go in my research. Um, this sometimes you, you stumble, and when you see when you see the the corrupt methods they use, that are not only un immoral and unethical, but that they are allowed to get away with, and other courts, you know, won't challenge them on it won't look at appeals, reject appeals, still rule with the probate court when this obvious corruption and theft of these estates is going on. The other part that bothers me in all of this, of course, is what's happening to the individual. What's happening to that person who was kidnapped and is now being held against their will? Uh, they isolate them. They drug them. It's well known that when they come into court for these so-called competency hearings, they're drugged up. They, many of them report feeling like they were drunk or like they were about to pass out. And, of course, they're not able to functionally answer questions that on an ordinary day that they could. 
And so this is all set up, and the courts have to be aware of this. There's no way they don't know this has happened to these people, that this is being done to these people. So you see a complicity there in order to render a ruling, a fictional ruling, based on things that just are not so. And that this class of both is at work in our society, and they're doing it under the cover of the courts and with the blessing of the courts and with the complicity of the courts, I think is a truly sad statement about where we are as a culture, as a society. Um, one of the, uh, I had people, I say, land on the site attacking me because I wrote this article about these probate courts and about how they handle thousands and thousands of cases every year, and the judges do not profit from this well they most certainly do the least amount out in the uh, west coast is two to three percent of every estate that comes into the court the judge has access to two to three percent of the, the value of that estate and in various states it jumps as high as six to seven percent and that is the average nationally that the judge is paid directly out of the estate for probating the estate and this is the man who is facilitating or the woman in many cases the theft of that estate and it's very profitable for them so this is uh, I keep thinking of a constitutional tort uh, one for tortious interference with intent for economic benefit um, and this is basically where the bar association uh, covered by the judge and the court system has closed and stacked the deck, and uh, that to me this smacks of conspiracy. And when you see the money that's stolen from these people and what is done, these lives that are ruined, I really don't know how these people live with themselves, but I guess it takes all kinds. I'm going to take a second here and call in Gar Sanders, who's going to be our guest tonight, and um, I'm hoping Sarah can join us, Sarah Harvey. Uh, Gar has a really sad story. It, it just just really upset me. Um, I'm calling out for him now. Um, I've asked him to tell the story of how this started, and what happened to him, what happened to his brother, and what has gone on in the interim. Uh, his brother is still being held at the Levering Care Center in Hannibal, Missouri, Gar is still unable to visit him, to see him, to talk with him by phone. And at one point, um, Gar was uh, told that his brother, he had bought him a laptop computer. And the guardian told Gar that his brother could not have the computer because he was a threat to Homeland Security. And if that doesn't make y'all want to tear your hair out, I don't know what will. But anyway, we've got Gar on the phone. Gar, how are you doing this evening? Fine, thank you. Yes, I was just kind of going over a few things in your story about your brother, Rob, and wanted to be telling everybody how this all started to begin with. What what was the situation and what first happened where your brother well, was taken uh, and my helped? family, My family lived in Missouri. My dad was stationed there. He was a career Army man. He retired lieutenant colonel from the Army and uh, decided to work for Boeing in Pennsylvania. My brother graduated in Missouri and decided to stay and go on to college. So the family moved. He stayed. 
went on to college, got a business degree, four-year business degree, and uh, and we would get calls periodically with him having, you know, a mental uh, breakdown, and my mother and father come to Missouri. Well, unbeknownst to us, no one told us, but apparently the state somehow got word of him being alone in Missouri and having being bipolar, and they gave him a court-appointed guardian without telling anyone in the family there was going to be a hearing for a guardian. And none of us got the opportunity to say, we'll do it. Uh, the guard, my brother called me, I'm not good with dates, but uh, I believe it was about the year 2000, begged me to come and visit him, called me like four, five, six, seven times, even said he'd pay for half of it. I was uh, unemployed at the time with a broken uh, truck and a dog, and he said, I'll pay half your ticket and come on the bus. I said, I can't afford to board the dog. Next thing we know, we don't hear from him anymore. He was telling me, they're telling me not to talk to my family. I can't talk to my family. Please come visit me. I said, who? And he said, Connie Hendren. And I said, well, uh, he said, talk to her. And he gave me her phone number. So I called Connie Hendren, and I, I told her what my brother was saying. She's like, oh, he's so sick. Oh, he doesn't know what he's saying. And I said, well, who are you to my brother? And she said, I'm his caseworker. I said, oh, okay. Well, right after that my brother disappeared didn't know where he was anything about him my mother called this woman Connie Hendren I called this woman Connie Hendren and she laughs on the phone and says I'm his guardian there's nothing you can do about it ha 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 and he doesn't want to talk to his family and she hung up on me she put him in several different hospitals I found him once my dad found him once I begged him to call her mother because she was just beside herself with fear as to what was happening to him and what kind of treatment he was receiving. And uh, he did. He says, "Want the lab?" I said, "Please, you got to call mom. You got to." And uh, he says, "Okay, I will." So a couple weeks went by. My mom uh, said, "Who called me?" I said, "What did he say? How's he doing? What's going on?" She said, "Well, he didn't talk to me for very long. All he said is, I love you, mom. I'm okay.'" I can't talk to any. I have to go by. And he hung up, and we never heard from him again. And and uh, was breakdown. Ended up in the hospital. She herself was was murdered in the hospital by the hospital people. But anyway, uh, so the guardian wanted half that money. And money, then you tell me where my son is. That's how. That's the only way we found out where my son was. And he was, and he was here in Hannibal and living in that care facility. As soon as I got my money, I got a new truck, I came here. I, she, I had to hire a lawyer because she said I couldn't see him. The lawyer said, okay. She worked it out, back and forth, back and forth, finally said I could see him. The day before I'm supposed to leave, Connie Hendren calls me and says, you can't visit him. So I called Governor Blunt's office and talked to his staff, and they're like, well, that, you should be allowed to. That you know, That's basically the responsibility of the guardian to allow and involve the family. And by the end of that day, uh, I, was, I was given permission to see him. So I left like the next day. I came to see him I, I, during the first week. He made huge improvements in his uh, mental uh, well-being. Uh, he was completely 
a fan, it lived in a fantasy world. They, he was dressed. He was when I first saw him, he looked like he'd been living homeless for ten years. He had raggedy clothes, jeans with rips in them. His hair was long and, and oily and dirty, and his beard was long and, and raggedy. And I bought him a whole bunch of new clothes and shoes, and the guardian called me up yelling at me. Don't be buying him stuff. He can't have anything. Stop that. Don't be buying him. I just continue to buy him things. And uh, he had a seizure. Before that week was up, I saw him every day. They would only let me see him once a day for an hour. And uh, in the beginning, he couldn't handle an hour because he had been isolated for so long. They locked him in the facility, and uh, all he has is looking out the window. And he told me the first thing, I said, there I said, okay. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. The, the, the lady that was first assigned as his guardianship, this Connie Herndon, uh, she was the public administrator for the city of Hannibal, Missouri. And she retired. No, she, uh, she she was the administrator for Boone County, Columbia, Missouri, because my brother went to college in Columbia and lived in Columbia at that time. And so she was the right. public administrator for Boone County, right. Columbia, Missouri. Right. She shipped him out of the county to hide him from us. Right. Well, she retired a, a year or so ago, maybe two yeah. years, as near as I could tell. And I tried to contact her personally to see if she'd like to come on the show and kind of explain herself and what she had done in this case, pointing out to her that if what she had done was, in fact, legitimate, um, she needed the, the opportunity of course, to defend herself, and she didn't respond. I sent her a second email, which got blocked. Um, mm-hmm. She doesn't she want any, to my any attention. When I was trying to contact her, too. Mm-hmm. When I, before I saw my brother, I was trying to contact her. Yeah, And she told me on the phone, because I called on the phone, she says, I don't have to take your emails, and she'd hang up on me again. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's fine. I just was wanted you to know I did try to contact her, Um the fact that she blocked me from contacting her again tells me that uh, she's got a lot to hide. Um, oh, yeah. Otherwise, this money that, my mom, that we got from my mom's death, well, I've got my brother's public record because none of the lawyers, I've had three all together, none of the lawyers would get the public record. They all, like, just hung things up. They, they just hung things up and wouldn't actually do anything. I asked one lawyer to file for visitation. Four months went by, he didn't file. I, I sent a letter to the board complaining, hoping that light a fire, a, a fire under him, and, uh, and, and he quit. Um, I forget what I was leaving. Are you there? That's okay. Yeah, sure, I'm here. I'm just saying, just take your time, Gar. We're, we're not in any big hurry here, and we've got some time to fill, so, you know, just try to, to go at your own pace. Uh, when you when you were able to talk to your brother, the few times that you were able to talk to him, oh, what, what may, was his may, state of mind? Yes. State of mind. Oh, uh, well, um, to, uh, what I was going to say about the money is I got his public record, and it she didn't even give a correct amount of how much she received. She was $40,000 short of what the actual amount was. And uh, and on top of that, she claims it was put in a, tr- a special needs trust, and yet I couldn't get any dental care for my brother. I couldn't get him any glasses. Finally, I did get a glass. 
got him for him, he said they mysteriously ended up broke, broken and then disappeared again, which they took him away from him when he first got there. And his only contact with the outside world is looking through a window. And so he's like, I can only like see shadows. Um, your question was, I'm sorry. That's okay. I was just wondering oh, his about state of mind. His, his state of yes. mind. His yes. state of mind was, he first said, oh, you're an imposter. He thinks everybody's an imposter. He thinks levering is, bring, is bringing people to him, asking him how he's doing and if he likes it there, because I've had a lot of people, I, I, I tried to get a lot of people to investigate. And he, he lies and says he's fine, he's happy, he feels safe, because he's worried it's, it's the levering people uh, tricking him so that the, he could, he'll be more severely punished. He's afraid that these, even if these people are real and they are trying to help him, they're going to get up and leave, and he's going to be left there to be uh, to be tormented and and hurt. And he told me he's been raped there. He he he. he the guy, the administrator, Wintrick Williams Jr., said to me, "Oh, your brother belongs here." I said, "I said uh, he needs help that he's not getting here." He said, "No, he belongs here. You will see that." But so drugged up he could hardly hold his eyes open and he i bring him i bring him a ta- a, a journal to write because he loves to write they won't let him have any entertainment they won't let him have any personal possessions at that time I, other than the clothes i was giving him and stuff the other things were taken away um and uh and uh he, he and, and he couldn't even spell the word cat c-a-t-f and this is a man with a four-year bachelor's degree in business, and mental illness does not affect your intelligence, but overdrugging and abuse does. And but before the week was out, and I and I said because Winter Williams Jr. walked by me and he's like, I said something's wrong with my brother. And he said, Well, that's how he gets when he's sick, or I could. We're kind of losing you out there. Yeah, Guys, you're breaking up here and mess- there a little bit. Oh, I'll go outside here. Wait a minute. That's all right. You're breaking. The, I was just wanted guy, to let you know you're breaking up a little bit. Okay. The, and Winfred Williams Jr.'s mouth drops open when I say no. He is drugged up, and he just walks away from me because he 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 had no comment. I, he he knew I knew what was going on. I my mother had bipolar. I know what's going on. And uh, his state of mind got okay, better sir. and better. Yes. I tried yes. to contact Winfrey Williams, too. You remember we were talking the one night, and I told you I found him on the net. And I found a contact uh, site for him, and I wrote him a very detailed letter about your brother and asked him what what his excuses were for denying you access to your brother and for having him drugged up and keeping him in the sorry state that he was in. And what was mm-hmm. at stake here that was so important to him that he could hold another individual as prisoner in order to obtain it. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't get a response. Emailed him again, asked him if he received my first email, and I got an email back saying, don't contact me again. No denial. Mm-hmm. No, this didn't happen. No, not any, you misunderstand, but just don't contact mm-hmm. me again. Oh, yeah. So, well, and, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he has, he has, drew, he tells me, call, he would say to me, because uh, I, I was told after that first week, well, by the so I was going to say by the end of that week, uh, my brother had a seizure in front of me, and I he had told me the medicines they had him on, and I went 
both to the local library and looked it up and looked it up on the Internet. And the medicine he was on is known to cause seizures and death. It's considered one of the most dangerous mental health medications anyone can be put on. Uh, my brother told me he's peeing green. He's peeing like every 10 minutes. Uh, and, uh, and he had a seizure, and they refused to call the ambulance. I asked them five times to call the ambulance. Finally, I had my cell phone, and I realized all of a sudden, I got my cell phone. I said, I'm going to call myself. They gathered. They said, wait a minute, gathered in a circle and, and had a little powwow, and I heard someone say, we better call. At that point, you know, the, the ambulance finally came. He was seizing for a lengthy period of time. didn't stop till the ambulance came and, and, uh, and uh, got it under control. And I, said, and I said, can I follow you to the hospital? I'm new here. I don't know this area. Yeah, you can. As the ambulance guy walks by me, uh, like 10 minutes later, he says, okay, we're ready to go. And he goes out the door. I start heading for the door. A lady jumps in front of the door and says, you're not going anywhere. I said, I'm going to the hospital to see my brother, and you can't stop me. She says, no, the guardian said you cannot. And I, and, uh, and I said, well, there must be something really wrong here if I can't see my brother. And so she says, wait a minute. And she goes off into this office, comes back, says, okay, you can go. I went to the hospital. My brother said, what happened to me? I said, you had a seizure. He said, really? He says, they keep telling me I fell down. He says, I didn't even know I had a seizure. He says, every week I'm falling, and they keep telling me I, I fell down. So uh, the doctor, the next day, uh, I spent the night there with my brother, and the next day I uh, said this to the doctor, that it's this, he's having seizures because of the medicine, blah, blah. And he says, well, I'm not going to put that in writing. I can't do that. He says, but I will suggest that they take him off the medicine. He has to be weaned off of it, but it won't take that long. Well, a year went by before I got to see my brother again, and the first time I saw him, he said, he, uh, after that year, he said, uh, they, they were, they'd kept me on that for a year, he said. He said, they kept me on that medicine for a year. Well, anyway, during that year that I wasn't allowed to see him, I sent him either a card or a letter every single week, and I put $5 in it because he, they, he was not even getting his $5 a weekly allowance from them. And every time I came, he would say, can I have a soda? Can I have a soda? So I'd always get him a soda. And so I sent him $5 every week. And when I uh, finally got to see him again, uh, I said, did you get all my cards and letters? Oh, yes, thank you so much. And I said, how many did you get? And he says, I don't know. I'll have to count. So the next time I saw him, I said, he says, I got five. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I said, five? I sent you one every week for a year with $5 in it. I said, somebody owes you some money. So we talked to Winthrop Williams, Jr., and he's like, Ogar. And then nobody, nobody here would do that. Well, he didn't say Ogar, but he's like, nobody here would do that. Uh, I know the lady that does the mail, et cetera, et cetera. But I've met, I've lived in this town off and on for four years, going on four years now. This is my fourth year. And uh, I've met many people that used to work there, many people. And they hire people that are not qualified to give drugs. They hire uh, people that are abusive. And um, I met a woman that worked there. While my brother, the first week I was there, my brother introduced me to this woman. And then later she wasn't working there, she told me. She says, I filed, I called the state and made a complaint that I witnessed abuse. And uh, she said, I made it anonymously, but I told them I worked there. And uh, they investigated it and told me everything's fine. Well, that's everything. Every time I ask people to get involved and investigate, I got the same response. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. You know, and, and, and even the advocacy agency, my brother actually called them personally before I even 
this is when I first the first week I uh, I had gotten this number. I was gonna give it to my brother that day when I got to see him, and we talked on the phone first, and he says, uh, I said, I've got, I said, I I want you to do something. He goes, I called. Uh, some advocacy group, I forget. I've called so many. And I said, really, I was just going to give you that number. And he said, yeah, but they hung the phone up on me. And I, and when I called the, that group back, that advocacy group, uh, the, the lady said, oh, yeah, I, I was speaking with your brother, and I heard in the background, get off the phone. Get off the phone. She said it kept getting louder and louder, and all of a sudden there was a click. And then, you know, he was not allowed to make phone calls out or receive phone calls anymore. And... Uh, his state of mind when, got so much Gar, better. He, yes. Gar, when this first yes. started, when they first got got control of him, um, what was the excuse they gave you for for taking guardianship of him? Uh, you were there, there, there. Your your father was there. Your mother was still there at the time. Yeah. There what was, was their no excuse reason. for them? They gave none. All the guardian said is, I'm his guardian. There's nothing you can do about it. Ha, 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 and hung up. They have never given a reason. And then I filed for guardianship. Uh, my lawyer wouldn't do it. He claimed that I had to reestablish a relationship. He lied to me. And, uh, and, and, uh, and when, after he quit, I called around trying to find another lawyer. An old guy that was getting ready to retire said to me, Look, I'm not, I'm not, I can't do this because I'm getting ready to t- retire. This is big. He says, but, and I'm not allowed to do this, but I'm going to tell you, you don't have to have a lawyer to file for guardianship. You do not have to reestablish a relationship. That is your brother. He says, you can do that right now. So that's what I did. And the judge urged me to get a lawyer, which did nothing in the hearing. Uh, she absolutely did nothing. She didn't do anything to defend me. She let them say anything and everything they wanted to say. And, and like the guardian at Lightman said, uh, oh, he was dressed nice and, you know, everything. Well, yeah, I bought him those stuff, you know, but they're acting like that's the way it's always been under their care. My brother, in his public record, it states that he was homeless during her guardianship period. He was homeless. And, and uh, I don't know. I, I, at, that, at that time, Gar, he did have his own apartment and had been working, wasn't he? Yes, yes. My brother had an apartment, was working uh, for NAMI, which happens to be a mental health uh, advocacy group. Oh, Uh, Yeah, all around the country. There's one in every state. And uh, he was doing an internship working in the mailroom. I called NAMI many times, and I eventually got one woman, and uh, like the head lady, and she's like, Robert, that name sounds familiar. I think I know him. Uh, and, I, and she says, is he real tall and smiles a lot and talks real soft and his eyes light up while you're talking to him? I said, that's my brother. And she says, oh, I know him. She, she says, if he's in levering, my heart goes out to him. But I can't do anything. Nobody in the state, this is so corrupt from the little guy to the big guy, nobody will do anything. I had the venue change from Columbia, Missouri, the judge that appointed my brother was going to be the judge for the, the new guardianship hearing. And I had the venue changed here to Hannibal because this is where he lives. And they got it changed back to Columbia to the judge that appointed her. And then, the, and then not only did they lie, the guardian and the, the guardian's uh, lawyer, but the judge lies. 
because uh, my dad came from Texas, drove up for the guardianship hearing. They put him on the stand. They said, well, why weren't you at the original hearing? Is it because he has money? You're all of a sudden involved? And my dad said, no, no one told me of the original hearing. Now, this is a man that, uh, career army, lieutenant colonel, worked in the Pentagon, you know, and, and they're like, well, wasn't your address such and such and such and such? And he said, yes. Okay, we're done with you. Get off you know, you're done. And they did the same thing to me. They Just because they know our address, that's supposed to prove that they told us. And then on top of that, after the judge, the hearing and goes, and the judge basically says, well, we're not going to let you be the guardian, even though your dad supports you and everything else, uh, then the judge says, well, if your father is, because they didn't think he would be willing. She says, if your father's willing to be guardian, I'll let him be guardian. Well, the the, the guardian's lawyer slams her hand on the table and says, no, he lives out of state. He can't be the guardian. And the judge says, oh, I didn't know you lived out of state. Well, later, I looked it up on the Internet. It didn't, you know, it didn't occur to me before this, but each state has its own constitution. And the Missouri Constitution states that a guardian can live out of state. So they're all, they're all covering up for each other. The, the state doesn't want to be responsible for what they've allowed to happen to this man and probably multitudes of others. I called other guardians, other public administrators to, for help, and I'd say 90% of them said, give up. You're never going to win. Give up. Stop this. You know, because uh, they're, they're all a lot. They're, they're, it's, it's, it's an epidemic here in Missouri. Corruption is an epidemic here in Missouri. It is It is everywhere. I hear these same stories and virtually uh, what, what hits me in every case that I've listened to, and people send me like you did guard documents, court documents, statements from these guardians, um, statements from attorneys that absolutely are so egregious in their nature and such a violation of not only your rights but the victim's rights. Uh, I can't believe these people actually put this stuff in print. But I guess they feel safe in doing it, Gar, because, like you say, who's who's going to tag them for doing it? Nobody. Right. The same people Nobody. you have to go to for for redress to go back to is the same court, the same judges that allowed it to happen to begin with and keep it rolling. Uh, right. And and, and, and get this, if I if I may, the guardian's lawyer, which she claims she's doing this to protect my brother. Uh, is also the nursing home or the or the care facilities lawyer. They have the same lawyer. Now that is completely illegal, but perfectly normal here in Missouri. It's it's like that everywhere, Gar. You've got the same bunch of people running, uh, doing the same circles, the same judges, working with the same attorneys, working with the same predatory guardians, working with the same in-home nurses, working with the same state agencies. I think one of the mm -hmm. biggest jokes I've come across recently is the adult protective services. There's nothing protective mm -hmm. about it. It's simply a system of targeting. Um, mm -hmm. Another thing Tim and I had talked about in one conversation was the fact that they uh, – 
have also, like in these larger cities, gone out and, like, for snow removal, if you're elderly or disabled and you can't shovel your walk, send us your name. Let us know where you are so we can help you. And, of course, we know where this list goes. Do you own your house? How much do you have in assets? You next. Well, mm-hmm. you can't shovel your sidewalk, so you're incompetent. And mm-hmm. uh, But th- this happens everywhere, Gar. It isn't just Missouri. It's everywhere. It's what I call the rise and- of the vulture class. You wrote a letter to the um, Justice Department here uh, within the last week asking them to investigate what's happened to your brother and how this has all gone. Have you heard anything back from them? No, and it, and this is probably the third letter I've written. But, I, but this one may have been composed a little better and sent directly to the right department where before I was sending mm-hmm. it to the Justice Department uh, not at to a particular uh, section of, of that. Um, uh-huh. But what I was going to say about I know oh. I, I kind of didn't mention it, but when my when I first saw my brother, the first thing he asked for was adult diapers, the pens particularly he wanted, and and he said I'm I'm urinating my bed because of my medicine, and they won't give me any adult diapers, but they berate me every morning. And humiliate me. He says, I, I don't have any money. I don't get any allowance. And I have to do, he says, I've, I've done shameful things just to get a treat. I, they're supposed to get a, a, a snack in the evening of, you know, of juice or cookie or whatever. He says, all we get is water. We all go to bed hungry every night. He says, I'm malnourished. And, uh, I mean, I had a briefcase, and he asked to carry it. He said, oh, my gosh, this is so heavy. His muscles are jello. His brain's jello from all the drugging and 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 lack of exercise and and the isolation. They say he's psychotic. It's the isolation and the treatment that's made him that way. And 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 through all of this, through all of this, my brother remains respectful, gentle, and kind, and concerned about others' well-being and happiness. And he does absolutely nothing to instigate or invoke them to punish him for anything. But they they create reasons. I've met people that work there that said, I saw workers harassing patients to the point where they'd be screaming and crying, and then they'd drug them up, you know, take their purse away for no reason. I want my purse. I want my purse. This woman was in a wheelchair. I also was told by somebody that worked there that uh, they like to drug up this one particular woman and put her on the men's floor, and all the men rape her while she's so drugged up and walking around with her pants down. This is what I was told by somebody that worked there. I, I think most of these places are frightening places to be for anyone. And what I noticed here, you said, is how your brother's demeanor has remained civil and and respectful, and he's well aware of the fact that he's having the problem with incontinence and he needs help for it, and he knows what's causing the problem. This doesn't sound even, to me like someone who's 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 not competent. I believe that they threatened him. They said they were going to hurt me because he said to me, I want you to go back to Pennsylvania and forget about me. He says, I'm worried for your safety. And 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 some awful things have happened here, but uh, like I'm not, I told them I said, well, uh, I mean I was uh, in the beginning I was staying in a motel, and uh, by the grace of God I woke up, and something said go to the door go to the door so I go to the door open I don't see anything I'm looking for a human being, and 
I close the door, and just as I'm reaching for the sheets, it's as if someone grabbed me by the shoulder and said, go to the door. So I did it again, and, as I, and I didn't say anything, so I started to close the door, and I'm looking downward at that point when I'm closing it, and I see fumes from a vehicle shooting into my room. I look back in my, my motel room, and the whole room's filled with these car fumes. And, of course, the vehicle takes off. That would have been a perfect murder, you know? Uh, after that, yeah. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, after, and I go running out of the room. And, but after that, uh, the police, some police officers started harassing me. I would drive around. And, you know, I'd have to run errands. So I, I'm five blocks from the care facility, so, and, and the errands are always that way, so I always go by very slowly. Well, all of a sudden, police started turning on their sirens and, and speeding up behind me. I pull over, and, and as, just as they pass me, they turn their lights off and slow down. This happened several times until I, I clued in, and I said, okay, I'm going to get this guy's plates. So I go chasing after the cop, and he's weaving in and out of streets. I'm weaving out of streets. I finally go on to the main board, uh, Broadway, and he was on a side street. He got caught at a red light. I was at a green. I sat there at the green, waited for him to go by. He literally ducked down in his seat, put his hand up to cover his face, and drove by me. After the, and, that, and it stopped. No more police doing that, doing that to me. After that, I believe... They they might have contacted people. This is you know my just my perception of whatever what was going on. I think they contacted people to try to make me have accidents that would look like my fault, just to mess my life up and get me to go away. And I'm a good driver. Plus I have God's grace on me, and nothing ever happened. But until I clued in, all these you know uh, people kept trying to make me have accidents, and then I was like, hey, go get their license. So I was very obvious about it. In the nighttime, I would turn on the light in my vehicle, and I'd be writing down their license plate. Well, it stopped right away. Both times I, I clued in, it stopped. Now, nothing really horrible has happened since then, other than, to me anyway, other than the fact that uh, Winter Williams Jr. this year, because I'd call. He'd say, you can call any time you want and ask to see your brother. You know, well, I would, and I'd always be denied. So I had got my aunt involved this time. I talked to the guardian. The guard, you know, that went on for a couple months. Finally, well, one day he's, he's parked catty corner to my apartment here, and uh, I come out the door and he yells. He's standing outside his vehicle. He yells, "Hey, asshole! You think you're gonna get to see your brother? You're not!" And he gets in his car and drives away. And let I me mean, mention this guy's a supposedly a big evangelical minister. Um, well, his father and mother, both his father and mother mm-hmm. are ministers. They own a lot of stuff here in Hannibal, and and they're 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 not good people. They're not. This is a generational thing. The brother they they own halfway houses. I can tell you, I know for a fact because I eat the, eat with these people five days a week. Some of these halfway house people. One woman, Winter Williams, he. I got him investigated, okay, uh, finally, by, by for corruption. It's my belief that that's why he's not at Levering anymore. And my brother, uh, I don't know this for a fact, but it's my suspicion, because I didn't even see my brother in the window for two and a half years, not even in the window. And uh, I had gone to the, all kinds of papers, St. Louis, Quincy, and 
radio stations and TV stations, no one would do a human interest story. Why well, had gone to the Hannibal paper about something I had heard about the new wing being built, that there were going to be sex offenders being housed in there. That's what I had heard through the grapevine. And I wanted to let them know about it so they could look into it. Well, because it's right across the street from an elementary school. Uh, and there's another school just a block away or so. And so when I told the head reporter at the Hannibal Courier Post this, she says, well, you know what? A week ago somebody came in here with pictures of somebody that was severely beaten at Levering. And I, and, 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 I, and, I, and I was like, oh, really? And I didn't feel the right to ask who, what, what, you know, when, where, why, and all that. So I left, and I, I told my aunt, would you call Levering? Uh, because she's allowed to call because she's in Mississippi taking care of our elderly grandmother and would never be able to come up here. And they know that. So they let her call, and she's too busy to call. I try to get her to call at least once a month, and it's always real brief, she said. And But anyway, she called, and she called me back. She says, he's in the hospital, but they wouldn't tell me why. And for two and a half year, years, I didn't even see him in the window. And it's my belief, I did once see somebody that looked exactly like my brother in a wheelchair with crutches strapped to it. And I have a feeling that he was beaten to the point where he wasn't necessarily paralyzed, but he had severe trouble walking and had to go through all kinds of therapy. And I, to I was told by a worker that just got fired from there this year or left there. I, a lot of people leave there because they can't stand to see what's going on. Uh, I, so I shouldn't have said fire. Cause I, uh, but um, they said that uh, in the new wing that they have a therapy center and they don't really do therapy. They do shock therapy and it's abusive. His doctor, his psychiatrist is, is known as a shock doc on the internet. People have been trying to get his license taken away for a long time and he's not even a psychiatrist. He's a, he's a, I think it's a DO. Is that, is that what doctors are? DO? Uh, yeah, some of them doctors yeah. of osteopathy, and others are general practitioners. It just depends, Gar, uh, right. what they went well, to school for. He's not even a psychiatrist, and he's he's giving all these drugs out and and and, and electroshocking people, as far as I know. What he I, does. I've he heard. doesn't have a psychiatry license. That's what I've been told. Uh, I was told that by Terry Hassler from CCHR that he's only a D.O., and that he is, and she's the one that told me, he's known as a shock doc. He, he enjoys What's his name again? Uh, What's his name again? Uh, I'm horrible at names and dates. I have okay, his name I'll find in it. the documents I, I sent you. One of the okay, emails I sent I'll you find says, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, um, I think what we need to do, Gar, is run down and find out if this guy... Uh, what kind of license he does have because that has to be publicly available and then find well, out in the nursing home in the ahead. nursing home bill of rights it says that they have a right to certain rights and one of the rights is they have a right to ask for a particular doctor and they don't give him any rights you know that the, the elevators he's on the there's three floors that residents live on and and they say a first floor, second floor, third floor. Well, the first floor is literally actually the second floor of the building. All the elevators are locked. No one can go up to see the residents. I asked to see his room. They said, no, that's not allowed. And I, and I have to wait for him to come down in this locked elevator. So he is, everybody's locked in there. 
Okay. Um, we're we're coming up on about ten minutes ahead of the hour here. After um, eight o'clock, we'll start taking oh, phone yeah. calls. If anyone, oh, what Tim? Okay. <laughs> what? Could I uh, that one thing about the woman that I said I know that one of the halfway houses in which Williams is now running, uh, his brother runs the other, blah blah. Uh, also, the Williams is a junior, and then there's a woman. I guess I don't know what women are called juniors. So I think that that's that. I think that's because he had all these kids and named them after mother and father, so they could hide money. Is my opinion. But Winter Williams Jr. is now running one of the halfway houses here in Hannibal, on my same street down further away from Levering. But uh, the woman told told me he's taken away my hot water heater. I said to her. Recently, did you get your hot water heater back? No, it's been five months. She's been without hot water. She's living in his building, paying six hundred dollars a month, has no hot water. And then, like a couple days ago, last week, she told me that now her utilities have been shut off because he's not paying her bills. And somebody else I heard tonight when I was over at the church eating dinner, the people next to me were talking about how they call Wintrick and asked for toilet paper because they were running out of toilet paper and he wouldn't give them any. They were using washcloths and having to wash them out. I mean, it's just endless, endless awfulness these people are doing. And it's not just to my brother. They, okay, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's, that's all right, Gar. You say what you have to say. Uh, what I wanted to tell everyone listening uh, and find in, if anybody wants to call in with questions or comments for Gar, um, we'll be taking calls, and that number is one nine one seven three eight eight four five two zero. That's one nine one seven three eight eight four five two zero. Gar, you've gone on such a long journey here, and I have to admire you for your endurance. And um, what I would like to know, you've contacted so many. You've contacted the attorney general, the legislators, you have contacted protective agencies, you have contacted, has anybody at all, has anyone uh, responded positively to you? Has anyone paid any attention to this at all? Yes. Uh, There was a woman from uh, the Ombudsman Organization, which is an advocacy agency as well, and her name's Carol Keith. She was she she was in Jefferson City. She says, I'm going to come there, I'm going to have lunch with you, and I'm going to go meet your brother, and I'm going to ask to see his, his medical records. And she was just a wonderful woman, really gung-ho to help, and, and very vibrant and enthusiastic about her job. Uh, I, I, I met with her for lunch. She went there. I didn't hear from her for a week, so I called her, I called her office. She got on the phone, and she says, uh, oh, I said, uh, did you see my brother? Oh, yes. Didn't say anything. I said, did you look at his medical record? She says, no. She says, I had to leave within four minutes. She says, I was so frightened. I had to leave within four minutes. I didn't, uh, you know. And she says, I'm from Hannibal. My parents still live there, and I have to be very careful. And I thought, okay, she's going to do this more, uh, you know, secretive investigation. And two weeks went by, I didn't hear from her, so I called the office. Oh, she retired, they said. This woman was nowhere near retirement when I met her. I believe she was frightened away from her job and her responsibility at her job. And when she when when she was asked why she's not working anymore, she said, "I didn't feel that I." This is paraphrasing. I didn't feel that I could do my job. 
you know, and basically it's because I believe she was threatened. I mean, she, she, without saying it, she says, she says, I'm from Hannibal. My parents still live there. I have to be very careful. I was so afraid I had to leave within four minutes. Oh, wow. I, I just, when I looked at all of your documents, Gar, and saw the efforts you have exerted over these four years, people you have contacted and your persistence, uh, and you would think with all that you have done, uh, that someone would have gotten a clue that you're not going to go away. And hopefully with this broadcast tonight, some some people will. I, in fact, the people I told you I contacted, um, I sent anyway uh, to other addresses I could find. I sent notices and links to this show tonight. Um, I hope they're listening. I hope somebody in here that's signed in as a guest um, is one of those people. Uh, or maybe two or three of them. I hope so. Uh, we're not going to let up on this. And, of course, you know, it's, it's like I told you, we're going to take all of your documents, what I want to do, and I have a lady, another victim, actually, who has volunteered her, her service and had approached you about taking all your and telling this story of of your brother Rob and what you've done kind of into a booklet so people can see the process you've gone through, the extremes you have gone through, what you have done in an attempt to, to try and save your brother. And I think we, ooh, looked like we just got bounced off. Everybody, if we get knocked off the air again tonight, please stay where you are. I'll get signed right back in and get Gar called right back in. We had this happen again last week. So, um, just, you know, hold on. If we go off air, I'll get right back in. This is such an unstable platform, but it's the only one we have at the moment. Uh, Gar, your mother um, passed here, what was it, two years ago? No, well, uh, 2005. 2005 she died And she left your brother some money, didn't she? No, ma'am, I sued the hospital, but in Mississippi they had... You sued the hospital? Yes. Okay. Yes, for killing her. Okay. Uh, And they killed... My lawyer said they killed her three different ways. Oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this. But anyway, yeah, that's how we got the money. Now, Mississippi has what they call a topper. They kill so many people in Mississippi that you're not even allowed to sue for a million dollars. Had they killed my mother in Pennsylvania, we would have got like $36 million. But we couldn't even sue for a million because they passed the law that because they kill so many people, uh, you can't sue for more than $800,000. Oh, my God. Yeah. What a protection racket. Um, and by the way, everyone, when, when you hear anyone in the dis- District of Criminals talking about tort reform, this is exactly what they're talking about, is limiting a tort is your right to sue government or corporate officials for harm or wrongdoing. Um, it's seldom even under those circumstances they can pull up the um, sovereign immunity thing in the case of the state. But this is what they're talking about, and especially with health care, claiming that all these are because of malpractice, which only amounts to 2 to 3%. They kill on average, a year, 850,000 people through neglect, abuse, malpractice, performing the wrong, wrong procedure, whatever. So apparently um, the state she was in was working in advance and limited, put a cap on the amount you could recover. Um, yes, and my, my but, lawyer was so, able to prove they killed her three ways. She was oh so God. strong. 
And when I showed up, she started moving because the nurse was like, well, she hasn't been moving. After one day of me being there, she started to move. They, uh, the nurse came in put a, and gave him an injection. I said, what's that? She said, it's a sedative. I said, why are you giving somebody in a coma a sedative? I'm just doing what I'm told. And then they made me leave. And when I came back, the nurse scurried up to me and said, your mother's no longer moving. She seized. They, they let her seize until her brain was burned out. That's why they gave her the sedative. Anyway, I can't say who, who the, doc, the, the hospital or anything, but I think I can say what happened to her. That's what happened to her, and that's how, yes. that's how he got the money. And, and, okay. and the guardian got it. And, Okay, now what has happened to that money since the settlement? Well, all mine's been burnt up through theft of lawyers and 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 Hannibal uh, business people and stuff. Because uh, I, I bought a house in Hannibal, uh, Century Twenty One completely lied. Even gave me documents about uh, the 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 property that were completely falsified. So I was ripped off really bad, and and then I had the roof done because it was in a mess, and that roofer ripped me off. It's not my my mom. The money I got is all gone for lawyers for trying to help my brother for driving back and forth. I spend usually seven to eight months in Pennsylvania. I mean in uh, Missouri, and then a few months in my apartment in Pennsylvania. I lived in Pennsylvania all my adult life because uh, after you know graduation, I was in Pennsylvania with my parents and got my own apartment and a job and. And here I stayed, although everybody else left. My dad went back to Texas, and my mom went to Mississippi to take care of her elderly parents. But uh, all my all the money I got's gone. And as far as my brother's money, it's supposedly in a special needs trust. But I can't get him a, a decent dentist or eyeglasses or anything else. I I I wrote the the judge about getting him dental work. He claimed, or he didn't claim. He said to me, "I'm in pain." I said, well, ask them to make an appointment. As the woman walks by who does that, he, he's very good with names. He, he said so-and-so. She stopped. He said, I'm in pain. I need a dental appointment. She yells at him, you are not the only resident here. And the guardian would use that excuse, too. He is not my only ward. And, and they say they're over, you know, they have more wards, more residents than they can deal with with the amount of staff. Well, then why do you have that many? And and, and if they're using that as an excuse, why wouldn't they let my dad or I be guarding if they have so many that they can't attend to them, to their personal and mental and health and medical health needs? They, you know, they don't care. They don't care what their needs well, are. No, uh, one of the things I've also uh, I'm running to ground in this whole thing is is the value of that patient within the Medicare Medicaid system, which can be projected. Um, also, the value to the pharmaceutical companies for medications administered. Um, there is a per head fee attached, just like in the schools. If they can put these kids on medications, the school gets five hundred dollars per year per child on medication from pharma. And I think that's what's at work here in these um, these facilities, nursing homes and well, institutions. And I'm the met, thing is, met, what I'm trying to figure oh, – go ahead. I met a woman ahead, who, who has lived here in, in Hannibal, Missouri, all her life. And she dated a man for 25 years. He got Alzheimer's. She put him in levering, not knowing that it was a horrible place. Most of the people here in town, and you talk, I tell everybody, I tell everybody what's going on. I figure more people know the better. And every time I bring it up, they're like, "Oh, that loving's a bad place. You don't want them to be there." Well, anyway, she put her her her, her 25 year relationship man in 
there, and she would go and visit him, and she said they didn't clean him, they didn't do anything, and I complained about the care, and they told me if I come on the property, I'll be arrested. She is not allowed to see him, and she's the one that put him in there. I, ha- I have an a affidavit that I sent you from her. She did fail to mention in the affidavit that they won't let her onto the property, but I'll be glad to get her to write that in the affidavit if you like. But she wrote all about how he wasn't cared for, how she would wash his hair and trim his nails because they wouldn't do it, and uh, they kicked her out for it. Yeah, And they told me I can't come onto the property. They've even pressed false charges of trespassing against me. You know, they were dropped, but they made me pay the court costs. I said, my lawyer, well, that, that's going to make me look guilty. He says, no, no, no. He's like, uh, it, you know, and then later, because I paid the court costs, they tried to say that it was a fine for trespassing. Didn't they at one time, you weren't you sitting outside this facility hoping to get a glimpse of your brother? Uh, In my vehicle, yes, on the street. <laughs> yes. And, yep. Yeah, and, 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 and came after you. Yeah, there were two women. I don't know if I wrote about this, but two women came out and started yelling at me. Get out of here. Go away. Well, they said they they called the police on me saying I was out there yelling and upsetting the patients or the, the residents, which was, you know, completely absurd. I was just waiting to see my brother, and they, their windows open about two inches, and Sometimes he would mm-hmm. open the window and he would yell, I love you. This was Christmas, and I had sent him a package. I said, And so he's like, Merry Christmas. I'm like, Merry Christmas. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my vehicle with my head out the uh, sunroof waving and, 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 and yelling, I love you. And they're saying I'm cussing and raising cane or whatever and upsetting all the residents. And they said I was on the property I- and I wasn't. I was in my vehicle. Yeah, it just, I hear this again too, Gar, from a lot of people that even if they attempt to enter these facilities where their family member or partner is being held, they're threatened with um, being arrested. They've had the police tell arrested for criminal trespass. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why we can't, uh, why there isn't some way you couldn't establish a kidnapping case cause, because this is probably what happened here uh, if you look at this these people are taken against their will held against their will isolated mm-hmm. from their family members uh, i don't know how y- you consider it anything else um when tried. you last when you last saw your brother gar um when was that well just about a week and a half two weeks ago i actually saw him standing in a window First time in two and a half years, other than that time I saw someone that looked like my brother in a wheelchair. Other than that, it's the first time I've seen him in two and a half years, and he's actually standing. And um, he opened up the window, and he said, I love you. I said, I love you. He says, they're after us. Go home. Go. They're after us. So I think if he was the one who was severely big, and by the way, I didn't even mention this. I later went back and I had said, ask her who it was. Ask that reporter who that person was. So I went back to ask that reporter, and that reporter denied even telling me that somebody was beaten severely and was in the hospital. She she denied it when I went back to ask who it was. But anyway, so he must, if it was him, he was in a wheelchair with a crutches strapped to it, he apparently is now able to stand and walk, and now that's why I've seen him. I think after two and a half years, I finally saw him in the window because now he can stand and and walk. And he asked, he says, "Go back to Pennsylvania, go home, 
you know, they're after us. He knows they're they're evil people doing evil things to other people. This is not just kidnapping and isolation and imprisonment. This is human trafficking within the United States to United States citizens who are either elderly or disabled. See, I consider it the same thing. Uh, I, I do. I consider this a form of human trafficking, tra- trafficking, and it's being done for profit. Exactly. <laughs> but and, I, and uh, I've been told that this nursing home gets between eleven hundred and fifteen hundred per person from the government, and they claim that they can tell me to stay off their property because it's a private facility. Well, if they're receiving government funding over $1,000 per person, it is not a private facility. And on top of that, it states that uh, the Nursing Home Bill of Rights, they revamped them and made them, made them a little more uh, uh, to the point. And it says in there that, that family members should have immediate access to someone in a, in, in a facility, immediate access. And and they won't they lock him up with these in uh, up on the uh, these floors where they can't get out or, or or see anybody and they don't let people in to see him, particularly family members, ones that have the time to figure out what's going on. So I have time to figure out what's going on. I'm not working, and uh, and and they the, the guardian kept saying, "When are you leaving?" I thought you were only going to stay a week. When are you leaving? I said, "Well, I was only going to stay a week, but there's a lot going on here. My brother needs help." Well, and, and she even said in court, even said in court, you promised me that you were only staying a week. I said, I never promised. And my mother was an artist, a very good artist. She did one particular painting, oil painting, of a buffalo soldier, and a, a museum wanted it. And she said, no, that's the only thing my son wants when I die. Well, when I said that in court, the guardian and or the guardian's lawyer slammed both her hands on the table stood up and said, give us that painting. Where is it? I said, that painting is my grandmother's house where it's staying. And my brother, the first week I was there, had written a note to me. And I had the paper with me in court. that said, I want you to keep a hold of this painting for me. And I gave it to the court. I said, it's at my grandma's and it's staying there. You know, that's how, I, that's I just how, don't that's how. The, this, I, I just don't understand. I can't imagine what your parents must have suffered in this uh, oh, during this ordeal. Because the guardian, yeah. would, when my mom would call the guardian, she would send gifts to the guardian to give to my brother. First, she used to send him to his apartment, and the guardian was supposed to go pick him up and give him to my brother. She refused. My mother would call, did you give him his gift? Stop sending him. I'm not going to give him a gift. He doesn't want to have anything to do with his family. And she just horribly talked, talked horrible to my mother. My mother would call me crying about it and tell me everything that she, you know, said and how she was treated. My brother even escaped from not this facility, but in the beginning she was moving him from hospital to hospital, hiding him. And uh, and my brother said he and he, and, uh, he he said that he escaped, pretending he was a doctor from one of the hospitals, walked all the way to his apartment in the middle of winter at night. He says, all I wanted was to go get my Christmas gift. He says, I got to my apartment. I opened my gift. I had a couple of cigarettes. The gift was a sweatshirt with a Spanish lion on it because we lived in Spain for three years. And uh, he says, I just wanted my gift. He said, I opened it up. I had a couple of cigarettes, and then I called the police to come and get me and take me back. He 
said, I just wanted my gift from my mommy, you know, my mom. Gar, what are your what are your future plans? I mean, have you have, have you found any venue that's available to you? Uh, have you have you decided on what your next move's going to be? Um, would it help, like, if we got together, you know, all these groups and everything, and, and and maybe wrote a letter with everyone signed on that was willing to sign on, um, asking even the governor of the state of Missouri to intervene in this situation to investigate it? Would that help? Um, something um, to get this. Yeah, I'm thing willing to do anything up. and everything. And and by well, the way, and I cannot say that it's because of this issue. But Governor Blunt left office early. Yeah, after this situation with my brother and his staff had helped me, like, I don't know how long later, a year later or whatever, before his term was up, he left office. Yeah, I, I read about it on the Internet. I don't recall what it said or all, but I attribute it to the to the corruption and, and, and the fact that they're worried this is going to get blown wide open. But no one in this state's going to allow that to happen. Somebody's going to have to make it happen. Well, well, I think what we need to do um, there's safety in numbers and also force in numbers. And I think possibly if we pull on some of the talent we've got in these groups of compiling a letter um, and sending it to whoever the current governor is. I'll have to look into that because, quite frankly, I don't know at this moment. Uh, and maybe approaching him uh, and see what happens. Now, you know, with Sarah Harvey, she had written a letter to Governor Cuomo, which we put up on the PPJ website, and he did not respond, has not responded to this point that I know of. I had uh, emailed with Sarah just a day or so ago, and she said she had gotten no response. Um, she also contacted her state legislators uh, and no response from them. And one of the things right. they tell everybody, Gar, is that this is a separation of powers. It is not a separation of powers. Um, they are the very people who put these statutes in place, created the laws that created the statutes. So they are the responsible party, so we can't let them off on that level. And there again, maybe if we compiled something, composed a letter detailing this series of events and what's happened and try to get some attention that way, um, at least get a response, get somebody's interest up, uh, I think would be one of the things we could do. The other thing is, is, as you have found out, it's pointless to hire an attorney. Uh, it's a rare situation where an attorney in a probate court and dealing with guardianship will actually stand up and defend their client. Uh, they basically let the predatory guardian and his or her attorney just run the show and the judge goes along with it. I've seen this in too many of these. So, um, okay, so as it stands right now, you do not see your brother. You don't know what his condition is. No. Have you have you even tried to to find out what his condition is, Gar, at this current time? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, have you? Yeah, my yeah. aunt. She like, for example, I told my aunt he's peeing green. He's peeing all the time. He's getting kidney failure. Uh, you know, the, all these things I know because he tells me when I was visiting, and that's why they don't want me there because they're worried he'll say something. Even though they abuse him and and probably punish him for. And say and warn him, don't talk. You know, he he knows I love him and he knows I want to help, so he risks it. He risks telling me, 
and uh, I'm sure things have gotten worse for him. But um, I, I forget what, I, what my point was. That's okay. That's all right. Uh, I I was just trying to figure out ways that we could, you know, address this. Um, I I just don't even know what to say, Gar. This is such a tragic story. How old is your brother now at this time? He's forty-seven. He's forty-seven. He's been locked okay. in that. He's forty-seven. He's been in that nursing home nine years. Oh wow. Oh Lord. Um. And and nobody you don't have any any idea of what his current status is. No, the guardian. Other than what my brother himself told me, and I tried to advocate for help for him. Other than that, no, because mm-hmm. the guardian refuses to tell us anything about him. They don't even tell us if he's. They'll say he like the nursing home will say, well, he's in the hospital, he's not here. But they refuse to tell us why. The guardian won't tell us anything about his care or anything else. Mm-hmm. And the only okay. reason we found out where he was is they wanted the money. They wouldn't even tell us where he was for for seven years. It's coming after my mom died. Two years later, the money came and I got to come see my brother. You know, but it's only because she was getting, you know, uh, one uh, hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars. That's the only reason why we got to find out where my brother is. And are you there? Okay. Yeah, I yeah. am. I, I was just thinking about this, to, uh, Gar. Um, when uh, I, I just, this is just to me mind-boggling. And when I look at all that you have done, like I say, going back to that again, the the attempts to to get you know heard in the court, the attempt to present evidence, the attempts just to find out information, and you've gone to all the right authorities, you've filed all the necessary forms, you've done it repeatedly, you've contacted mm-hmm. public officials, you've contacted local official, officials, mm-hmm. um, and this guardian just seems to, and didn't you tell me that when the first guardian was going to retire, you uh, had, this was about the time you petitioned for guardianship? And they yes. gave it, said no, that you couldn't have it, knowing she was going to retire. Right. And then and the handed it to said, another one. I don't want to disrupt his life. He's had the same guardian for so long. I don't want to disrupt his life. Knowing, and the judge already knew that she was retiring. It would have been the perfect time if that was the excuse she was using. She even said, well, I don't want to disrupt his life. He's, he's been in, he's comfortable, he knows, you know, whatever. She wouldn't do it, and there, and she knew that guardian was retired, and he'd be getting a new person anyway. But the thing is, and I asked, I had a, I hired a private detective who basically, not did nothing, but basically did nothing because my brother got no help. And she based, I paid her basically to be my friend. That's about all. And my brother, and I think, got a muffin out of it because um, she sent someone to Levering to do undercover work. I talked to the woman twice. She worked there a month. And uh, the woman, and, and the woman, the first time the woman's like, "Well, I'm not on his floor. I haven't been able to see him." Blah, blah, blah. The second time I talked to her, she's like, "Well, I'm still not working on his floor, but I was able to sneak him a muffin." And they acted like that was a big accomplishment, you know. And I spent ten thousand dollars to that private detective and got no help. And my mom's money is gone on my end. It is, and it's probably gone on my brother's end, even though they haven't used it for his care or his well-being or his uh, personal needs or wants you know they don't want even me buying and things let alone doing it with his with the money they got from 
from, you know, her, my mom's death. I just, I don't know. Uh, does does your brother know that uh, your mother has passed? Yes. Now, in the beginning, you know, he was living in fantasy. Land. I mean, he's got to live in fantasy land. He's locked in this nursing home with only insane people to talk to and abusive people. I'm not, I'm not saying everybody there is abusive. I know there's got to be some good people in there. There's just got to be. Mm-hmm. There's good people everywhere. But the majority, I mean, everybody in this town, not everybody, 90% of people I talk to are completely aware of how horrible that place is. I talked to a guy at a cheese shop here in town recently, and he's like, oh, that's not a good place. You don't want him there. Everybody says that. And there's only a few people that aren't aware of it. But anyway, um, I forget what the question was. That's all right. That's all right. Take your time. Uh, This is, I, I just think it's probably one of the most tragic stories. I, I know people get um, upset, and they should, rightfully so, get upset about this happening. But but the thing is, in your case, I have to admire you for your devotion to your brother and your persistence in trying to save him from this situation, and we will do whatever we can. Like I say, there's a lot of talented people in these groups that might have suggestions, guard, might have things that they've tried and were successful at, or just even things you could try to see if it would work for you. Um, and I'm hoping everybody out there will get involved in this and see what we can come up with. Um, that and My, my brother said could have, he doesn't belong. He doesn't belong here. Mm-hmm. He said... He said he said, God put me here because he knew my family wouldn't give up, and if I can get help, all these poor people suffering here will be helped. He believes that he's there for the God's purpose, not their purpose, but God's purpose, so that everyone there will get helped, hoping that place gets shut down. That's what he, I mean, he is not insane. He is not, I mean, for, I mean, he's got problems, yes. He might be bipolar, yes. But any insanity is because of what they've done to him. I mean, he is the most giving, kind, gentle person. Uh, in fact, one one of the fantasies he lives in is he's got a lot of money. Oh, and by the way, the Guardian told me before I was allowed to see him that I could not tell him he got money. I was not allowed to tell him that. And I didn't until... The Guardian uh, uh, sent him to a welfare dentist, and I don't even think he saw a dentist because when, when he got back, when he scurried up to me when I got to see him when he got back, and he's like, I will never go to the dentist again. They hurt me so bad. It was so awful. I will never go again. I said, well, let me see your teeth. What they do? Let me see. He's like, no, no, no. I said, come on. you got to show me. He opened his eyes. Nothing had been done. I said, they didn't do anything to your teeth. What did they do? He says, I don't know. They put me to sleep. I believe, it's my belief, that this shock doc they have, who, who, who is based in, in St. Louis, they sent him all the way to St. Louis to this supposed welfare dentist. I believe they sent him to a shock doc, put him in a room that looked like you know, a dentist in a chair, put him to sleep and electroshocked him and, and abused him and did mind control on him. And now he's like, I will never go again. And not, no work was done. Who, when they haven't seen a dentist in five years, gets put to sleep the first time you go? And yet nothing's done to your teeth? Uh, that doesn't, it doesn't sound good. 
Yeah, and, oh, and here's, here's something my brother, when, when, when Winter Williams Jr. told me to get out, I will never be allowed back. He, he said, it will be a long time, if ever, you will be allowed back. He said, say goodbye to your brother, get your stuff and get out. So I'm saying goodbye to my brother, and Winter Williams Jr. standing there. And I said, Rob, I said, whatever they tell you while I'm away, don't believe them. I love you. I will never give up. And he said, Gar, he says, I want you to know that I will never kill myself. He's worried that they're going to do him in. He says, I want you to know I will never kill myself. And uh, he says, but, you, you know, teeth, teeth can kill you. Infection of teeth can kill you. I said, I know. And and so, you know, other than that, you know, unless they can poison him with his teeth, uh, it's, it's going to be obvious they killed him off unless they find a way to do that. And they're very sneaky. I mean, who would have thought somebody would poison my, my, my motel room with exhaust fumes? I mean, that's pretty brilliant. I mean, I hate to say that about such awful people, but it's my opinion, I mean, that they, in the beginning, just even in the beginning, not even knowing me, just the fact that I was calling advocacy agencies in the beginning, not knowing I would stick it out for this long, they were ready to just do me in rather than deal with me. It's my opinion that they put somebody up to that. I have no proof. I don't know. We have particularly... um, <laughs> one person in the chat room who's railing about they listened to this um, uh, because they were hoping to find solutions, and this is a person who uh, has a vested interest in, it, in the solutions end of it. Um, with all that you've tried, you've, you've tried every every possible avenue available to you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just don't I understand have. what else you could do. And and we were asking for suggestions. That's one of the things, you know, I've asking for suggestions and yet um they they don't materialize. Uh do people approach you I wanna ask you this, do people approach you offering help but of course always asking for money? No one has ever offered help. Ever. Oh, wow. I can't even get anyone to come with me when I was allowed to go there. I couldn't even get anyone to come with me and be a witness because they would make up things. They'd say, oh, Gar threatened to blow the building up. We can't have him here. Oh, Gar threatened to shoot everybody with a machine gun. You know, and I'm all by myself there, and they're paying people that work there to lie and say I said these things. They, you know, I, I started mailing packages. I started mailing packages when they when they first told me I couldn't come and see my brother, so I'd mail him gift packages and care packages with he likes honey roasted peanuts, so I'd send him unopened, completely off the shelf, untouched, in a box. I'd put them and mail them, and they they called the lawyer I had at the time and said uh, we're worried he's going to uh, put a bomb in there and, and blow the building up. He threatened to do that, and the lawyer he told me I laughed. I know that he said I laughed, and uh, he. But anyway, uh, they make stuff up, and I couldn't even get anyone to go with me just to be a witness. Everyone's afraid. In fact, the people I've talked to, most of them tell me that have worked there said that they're warned that they're not allowed to talk about levering. The people that have worked there are warned not to talk about levering. Gar, this uh, 
Elaine from Nazca is in the chat room, and she wanted to ask you if anyone from NAMI or anyone from the church has tried to see Rob. No, no. NAMI uh, said that they couldn't help. The woman said uh, she, she, her heart goes out to Robert. She knew him. She thought he was just a wonderful human being. And if he's in Levering, apparently she knew about Levering because she says, if he's in Levering, my heart goes out to him. But they, were, they, they couldn't do or wouldn't do anything. And, Gar, and no one from any church who, would. No one yeah. from any church you tell would, again, will, will help. Okay. Tell will you again, tell again who the name what? of the public guardian is? Who the name of the public uh, guardian is right now? Kathy Richards. Now, Kathy Richards yes, just Richards. refuses to talk to me at all. Kathy Richards will not take any of my calls, ever. In fact, when she first became appointed, uh, I was allowed, you know, at the time I was allowed to see my brother because I had lost the guardianship hearing and they figured I was no longer a threat. So they let me see him. Well, she came sneaking around the corner with a couple of workers, and they're like, that's him, that's his brother. And I looked up, and I saw this woman, and she scurried her back around the corner where I couldn't see her. And I believe it was Kathy Richards. They were pointing me out to Kathy Richards. She has never once ever taken my calls. She has spoken with my aunt, but my aunt's so far removed, they don't see her as a threat. Because that's because she's so far away. There's not much chance right. she's going to show up and, and, she's taking, and observe anything. Right, and she's taking care of her mother, who is 93 years old. You know, and, and she's working and trying to take care of her mother, and it's not possible. It's not possible for her to ever come here. My dad works in South America a lot, so he's not, you know, he's not capable of coming up here. I mean, he came to the guardianship hearing. That that was a huge deal and a lot of support. I was so proud of my father and so grateful for him. He's been a real uh, gem through this whole thing. Now, he doesn't want to believe that uh, these people are doing this, but he supports me. And, and trying to help my brother. But he doesn't want to believe okay. that this is actually happening. Okay. Um, Elaine wanted me to ask you also uh, if you've ever checked out Levering's inspection record with the State Board of Health. I have not. But I do know that uh, the State Board of Health claims that everything's fine. Yeah. Uh, okay. A, a couple different uh, entities have investigated them, and they always say it's fine. Now, I, I had one, I forget what entity it was, but somebody investigated them, said everything is fine, I made more complaints, people sent me back to them, made, and I told them I'm being sent back to you, you should do another investigation, and they'd say everything's fine. Well, they finally had to do something. So they finally said, oh, well, Levering has hired unqualified people, and they fired a bunch of people because they were unqualified. But the, those people were there the other two times they did an investigation and they said everything was fine. But it's because they knew I was contacting all these other people and uh, and they felt, oh, okay, we've got to do something. So we'll make you fire all these unqualified people. But everything else, just forget about it. You know, we'll just let it go. You know, this way it makes them look good. They did something. But in my opinion... You know, they, they, they probably hired a few qualified people and then, uh, you know, got some, you know, just went right back to what they were doing after they could get rid of those qualified once, people. Once they were out of out of the 
sites, yeah. Sites, right. Uh, This this happens a lot. Uh, They'll bring in the people they claim, you know, that it's demanded of them to bring in, but they only last long enough to uh, get the heat off of them, and then they let those people go and bring the same crew in. Uh, mm-hmm. So as near as I can tell, you have exhausted virtually every possible avenue. Um, so for the people out there saying, I wanted to hear solutions, please, please, by all means, if you've got them, call in. Let us know what they are because that's what we're Absolutely. looking for is solutions and remedies. Um, but in order for you to understand what kind of solution is needed or what kind of remedy, you have to know the story. And we're really sorry if we, you know, leaned on several people here who who thought that this was going to be something else. This is an opportunity for Gar and other victims like him and his brother to tell what has happened to them. And once you know what has happened in yes. the story, then maybe you can offer solutions. Um, or, or at least avoid think, the situation yourself or your family members. Stay completely away from guardianship, especially state guardianship. It's, it's, it's a racketeering thing. It's, a, it, 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 it's all about money. And, and even the lawyer I hired for the guardianship hearing, when I first met her, I, uh, she was on the computer, uh, and, and she's like, hmm, Oh, that's not right, huh? I'm like, what, what? She's like, well, I'm just looking up some stuff here. And she says, your brother has been charged outrageous lawyer fees and far too many. Well, that was before Levering got a hold of knowing who my lawyer was. Once the papers went out saying I had this lawyer for this guardianship hearing, that woman would never meet with me again, not until the day of the hearing. Never would talk to me on the phone, never would meet with me until the day of the hearing. And she, and she did nothing to help. I believe that Leverin got to her, just like they do to everybody. They're big I got, time. I got a couple They're more. big time. Okay. I got a couple more questions for you here. Uh, the first one is from Michigan Advocacy Project, and they wanted to know if you had requested an investigation through Missouri Office on Aging and Long-Term Care Ombudsman. Isn't that the ombudsman you spoke with? Yes, ma'am. That was Kathy Richards, wonderful woman, wonderful woman. Okay. Okay. And then the second question was I mean, not uh, Kathy Richards. Again. My mistake. May, I have to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Not Kathy Richards. Okay, Kathy Richards right. is the is the uh, new guardian, horrible woman, in my opinion. Uh, no, that was um, a Carol Keith that was from Ombudsman, and she's the wonderful woman. But she has to protect mm-hmm. herself and her family and left her job. Right. Okay. Uh, the second question is from Elaine, again from Nazca, and she wants to know if you've made friends with other families, with people at Levering, um, and maybe you could join forces with them. Have you have you met anyone else, Gar, that uh, has had a family member or a friend, someone in this situation at Levering? Yes, I, yes, one one other person. Well, actually two. Um, uh, but the the okay, I mentioned earlier in the conversation about the woman who was with a man for 25 years, got Alzheimer's. She put him in there, and now she can't go see him anymore because they weren't caring for him, and she complained. Another family I met that had uh, their grandmother there. They said they said they killed their grandmother. Levering killed their grandmother, and uh, but but um, they're not going to do anything about it. But they know that Levering killed their grandmother. But they're poor people, and they know because they 
they've they've been here for generations themselves, their family, and they know what they're dealing with, and they they won't go against them. But yeah, so yes, two two families I've met, and both of them uh, have horror stories about levering. Oh wow. Well, do you think it's possible maybe we could get in touch with them or you could and um, maybe see if we couldn't um, couldn't assemble something Absolutely. from that? Yeah, I think that sure. would be a good idea, um, especially you've, you've got these support groups out there, you know, that are, are willing to help. We're willing to do whatever we can. So possibly if we got got in contact with these people, and could establish a pattern of behavior and a pattern. Of, and this is crucial when you're going after these things. You have to be able to establish that pattern and that this is being done systematically and routinely. And, um, of course, the same names always pop up, the same players, and it always pop the same judges, attorneys, predatory guardians, uh, you know, agency personnel always seem to show up in these cases, whatever area you go into looking at this. Um, well, and what I don't understand is, what I don't understand is when they're so obviously outright breaking the law and no one seems to care. Having the same lawyer, the guardian in the nursing home, is an out-and-out illegal act. And no one, no one cares. No one cares. No one's doing anything. And that is unethical and illegal. It's, so I just Well, there's nothing ethical or moral about any of this, much less legal. Sure. Uh, right. All right. Is there any other agencies you've contacted maybe that we didn't cover? I mean, when I looked at your documents, Gar, my goodness, human, I'd like to say I have to admire you for... Mm-hmm. And what did they right. tell you? Thank you. Uh, no, they can't help. You know, they don't get involved. They won't even take a complaint. They they refuse. Oh. They say we know oh. about we know about levering, and we won't even take a complaint. They said that. Oh my God. See, and I ask over and over again. People first try to report to the police. The police say they can't do anything. Of course, and they refuse. Right. They, yep. they refuse to take they, a report. Yep, I hear this over and over. They won't take a report, but they'll sure come kidnap your family member or loved one, whoever it is, and deliver them to these predatory guardians. Then they're yeah, and they'll be the happy to. Department. Go ahead. And they'd be happy to arrest me for being on the property, but they yes. won't take a complaint from me that there's abuse and neglect. And they, mm-hmm. you know, they said, oh well, he has a guardian. You know, the guardian's the only one that can make a complaint. Well, the guardian and the, le- and the nursing home or the care facility are are walking hand in hand with both pockets full of money. Well, and that's the thing. Like I say, you start out with trying to file a police report, and most times they'll tell you to go to Health and Human Services. You go there, they tell you they can't do anything or won't do anything, and then mm-hmm. they tell you to go to the the district attorney. The district attorney mm-hmm. will tell mm-hmm. you to go to the state's attorney general. Mm-hmm. You go to the state's mm-hmm. attorney general, and then they tell you to go file a police report, and you're right back where you started, and nobody will yeah. do anything. Right. I've even talked that, to the FBI here in Missouri three times. And each time I called, say? I got, well, the first time I called, uh, the guy said, well, if your brother has a guardian, then that guardian is God to your brother. And the only way you could help him is to become his guardian. 
The second time I called, oh, we don't do that. The third time I called, they said, oh, well, you have to talk to a different uh, uh, department, and, and they didn't put me on hold, and I heard them laughing in the background. And then oh I said, oh, you think this is funny? And then all of a sudden I was put on hold. And I went to, like, three different departments in that FBI agency and, and got nowhere just to run around. No help, no, no, you know, nothing. One of our but guests yeah, in are. the uh, in the chat room, Gar, wants to tell you what a great job you've done tonight, and that they really appreciate you telling your story, and they pray that we find solutions together, and and that's the way this is going to have to happen. We're all going to have to work together. We've got some really powerful and well-focused groups out there, NASCA, elderabuse.org, Stop Elder Abuse. I mean, there is just a, a huge number. I've been trying to get them up, listed up on the site as quickly as I can. And so there's a direct link on the PPJ to all of these groups. But uh, we've got a good crowd listening and an even bigger crowd signed in listening to the show. Uh, so I'm hoping to get some kind of contact with someone who might have some actual solutions um, rather than harping about them uh, actually give us some some ideas, some solutions that we might try, some remedies we might try. All these people that are here tonight are, are willing to help. They're willing to help and I, I have to give you credit for being able to get through this. I know this has been emotional and uh, it's been frustrating and I know you have tried every possible conceivable avenue to to rescue your brother from this. And mm-hmm. I just, your heart just goes out for your brother because here he's being held prisoner, has enough wits about him, even after what they've done to him and how they've isolated mm-hmm. him, to know that things are not right and to remain, like I say, this civil, gentle person in spite of all of this speaks volumes about him and, Far less about them. Yeah. And, um, and if I may interject, I don't. Uh, when I, before I came here. Oh, and there's here, another uh, one. There's another one too. It's called Anger. A N G R. Is another group that's oh. out there. We have them listed on the um, PPJ. Also, you can link directly to them, and um, I'll send you a list of all of these groups and everything. And I believe you're already online, NASCA. Um, Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, but maybe between all of the groups and whatever little bit I can contribute, we can come up with something at least, if nothing else, apply pressure. So um, right. go ahead, Gar. I'm sorry I interrupted you there. Oh, that's okay. Um, what I was going to say is before I came to see my brother, the guardian tried to make me believe that my brother had changed. She tried to make me believe that he had become a violent person. My brother is six foot, almost six foot five. Uh, but he's gentle, gentle giant. And she tried to make me believe that he was throwing nurses downstairs and that he was violent. And she tried to scare me off from even coming here. And it, it almost, you know, I was scared. You know what I did? I called the nursing home. And I and I asked him about this. And I happened to, like I said, I know there are some good people working there. Because I happened to get a good nurse. And she's like, well, that's not in his record. That's never happened. He's a nice person. Everybody likes Robert. But she tried to make me think he had turned into this horrible, violent person so that I would be too afraid to come here. Oh, jeez. So it isn't just a, a smearing of your brother and his name. It, it extends also to you. I wonder why there isn't a way we could um, 
like defamation of character. You know, like I say, I contacted all these people, the names I found in documents you sent me, Gar, um, people that have been guardian, uh, people, judges. Uh, I contacted many people trying to get someone to come on the show tonight and explain themselves or mm-hmm. verify and validate why they had the right to do this to your brother mm-hmm. and why they have the right to isolate you from him. And not one of them would respond. So they can't say they didn't get the opportunity because the invitation was extended. So, Mm -hmm. and there again, when you see this overall just across the board silence, there's something at work there. Um, Anybody Mm -hmm. who believed what they were doing and thought what they were doing was right would have no compunction about coming forward and saying, look, this is what we did, this is why we did it, or even coming Mm -hmm. out and trying to say you're not telling the truth, which we'd tolerate about 30 seconds of that. And, uh, (laughs) but... You see, these these people just, they're nowhere to be found, and that's the way rats are. They scurry around in the dark. Uh, is there anything else you'd want to tell us? Uh, is there anything you can think, think of? of anything. But I, I really okay. appreciate being on your forum, and, and I appreciate your listeners listening in, and I'm sorry I don't have any answers for you or any help for you. I'm really sorry. I can't well, even find it for myself. We're brother. hoping to find help for you, and I think after this broadcast tonight, you know, if we pull on everybody that's out there, <laughs> um, uh, we we should be able to come up with something. Um, I, I'm not a person who thinks that people say, well, oh, you write letters, and it, they don't pay any attention to them, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it matters. It matters. Mm-hmm. You're, you're establishing a paper trail. You've shown good faith. You, you've shown you've tried to remedy the situation. Uh, you've done the best that you could. And so, mm-hmm. you know. And I started not... with the Guardian. I didn't start out hating the Guardian, even though I knew she lied, that she, she said she was a caseworker. And then later I found out, no, she was the Guardian. She was just hiding it because the HEPA law hadn't passed yet. Um uh, I didn't start out like bashing the Guardian or anybody else. I started out sim- writing the Guardian. Please help my brother. He needs glasses. She wouldn't respond, so I write the judge that appointed her. You know, I, I. It's not like I just came here ready for a battle. I just came to visit my brother and see how he's doing and and make contact again because he'd been missing for so long. I didn't come here to start anything. This is just incredible. Just incredible. <laughs> And I, 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 I'm concerned about you, Gar, being there uh, on your own, more or less. Well, uh, they, they, I told the, the, the people at the, the motel when this happened, I said, uh, uh, I, first thing I did was call my dad when I got to the office of the motel, and I told my dad what happened. And my dad called the motel uh, owner, and uh, I don't know what was said, but I also called my insurance company. I said, if I die here, it's not going to be an accident. You know, so I've made people aware that if something happens to me when I'm here, it's not going to be by accident. Well, we will be watching too. Uh, I, I'm just, I, I'm trying to just rack my brain to think of what we can come up with. We've got a lot of good minds out there that have been many of you on this far longer than I have been. I'm rel- relatively new to the issue. I do as much research as I can. Uh, I try to look at as much law as I can. And hang on here. we got a caller. Um, mm-hmm. You're on the air, area code 903. Yes. Hi. Hey, hello. 
This is Susan yes. McClendon. And I, I yes. got a list of Garth. I, you know, I went through the same thing with my son, Luke, and I was his sole managed conservator um, his whole, for 18 years. He had an accident when he was 19, and his father, who wasn't around, came in and took guardianship, refused us to see him, would do the same thing to us, restraining work against the whole entire maternal side of the family. None of his cousins, anyone could go see him. They threw him in a nursing home um, and refused to do any rehab. We would see him. We would do all the things he did. When I was allowed to see him, they'd drop me off the road and, uh, oh, they... Our phones were tapped. Our our my sister's house was tried burn it down twice. Our we were just it was horrible. They called the IRS on my husband. They they had the a fake DEAs going to my husband, who's a dentist, go into his office and tell him that they could find him with everything thing they could find. They could find him and totally his business. And they took his license to. Uh, to dispense uh, Category 3 medicines. I mean, they just took it right off his wall. When my husband waited for them to turn it into the dental board, well, nothing happened. Six weeks la- six months later, my husband decided to write to the dental board and say, you know, this is what happened, blah, blah. They said, we don't have any report of that. But since you confessed, which my but um, they said, we're going to put you on suspension for a year. Well, mm-hmm. uh, come to find out, we went to find these DEA agents from Tyler, where this case took place, there was nobody there. We don't even know who took off with his license. We don't know who those guys were that threatened us. They threatened us if we went ahead and took this to the city court of appeals that going to shut down my husband's business. We took it to the court of appeals. We took it to the Supreme Court. We couldn't get it before anybody. The judge wouldn't listen. Was just it was the worst night. And like the they, same thing as Gar. They told us, well, the guardian, the guardian is. That's all. I don't care if you're his mother. You're you're the same as a. I don't care if you raised him. I don't anything. Once you get guardianship, you're nobody. Everyone else is nobody. And it was just we went through years, and finally my son choked on his own vomit, and um, the fall allowed him to go to the hospital, and oh um, and he di- died about two weeks later from aspiration pneumonia, and um and you know what it is is guardians have the right to murder. Their, their ward, and it's championship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, condoned under color of law. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just like it, it, the guardian. You're not. He's put on a do not um, resuscitate order. He put on a no code, so that they. You're breaking Not only you're, you're breaking up. Yeah, your phone's cutting in and out a little bit. Yeah, you're cutting up quite a bit. Yeah. But we we heard most everything. Yeah. There, well, that's that's another part of this. These, these people yeah. have the right over life and death, and the minute the uh, value of that victim has been exhausted, uh, then suddenly these and we, people we just seem back to die. And we went back to court and tried to resuscitate over with the patient and the judge just threw us out of court. They actually came and had an in limine hearing by surprise. There are another matter in limine hearing that I'd like to Okay, 
Oh, my mother okay. has uh-huh. and removed his plastic and and I put, yeah, honey, I can't hear you. You're, you're, I'm getting about every fifth or sixth word on you. Oh, um, uh, yeah, it's just that sometimes the connections aren't good, and if you're moving around, they're worse. Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I might be moving. Gar, have they issued like a DNR, you know, or a... Um, well, so far, I mean, nothing, no, no, no health problems run in our family except bipolar. So uh, any health problems my brother has have been created by them. And I know he's on heart medicine now. I don't know. They had my son on fifteen medications, and even the pharmacist wrote in Luke's files and said that he should be on no more than nine, and they needed to uh, review this and fix this. And the the uh, doctor wrote back and said, noted, uh, continue. They had him on seizure medicine. They had him on, uh, oh, um, uh, I'm trying to think of all the medicines. Uh, they had him on, uh, like, oh, gosh, I'm trying. The antidepressants. They they mm-hmm. uh, on every kind of medication that, that is imaginable, but yet, and he was raped in there, and he uh, got herpes simplex one and two. He had HIV and hepatitis C, and they refused. To oh treat. my God! And he had it in his eyes, and he had have huge blisters on his mm. eyes and on the side of his face, oh. and and they would do nothing, and they just and you know he was talking when he went in. And after he was raped, he never spoke again. But, you know, I could give him, he would say yes and no with his hand. He, with his next finger, he'd say yes. And with his fist, he'd tell me no. And he could answer all my questions. He wanted to come home so bad. But the whole thing yeah. was, the hospital had messed up so much with him. They took the shutdown and then they were supposed to put it back in. They never did. They were supposed to get him a neurologist. They never did. So what they said was, they told the ad litem, she's a lawsuit waiting to happen, and we want her out of this. And the ad litem told me, I'm here to see that you're out of it. And you either agree to let your ex-husband have guardianship, or you're never going to see your son again. And he said, it's not a matter of whether you win or lose, because you're going to lose. He said, it's a matter of how hard to fall. And towards the end, I had to have a police officer to go with me, and I was allowed to see my son once a month for two hours, and I had to pay the officer $125 to sit with me. And um, and I was allowed to touch him. Um, you know, it was just uh, we just fought all that we could. And you know, I think the only thing really to do is go after the judge because they are responsible. You can go after the judge on his bond because he's responsible for that. Mm-hmm. And if he does not receive it, then be held accountable. Like right well, now, we're looking judge- into. Uh, I believe that's why. Go ahead. I believe that's why the judge judge won't allow guardianship for to anybody but the public administrators because they got their their you know cronies coming in taking over for them when they leave. They're going to cover up for them, and the judge won't allow anyone else to be guardian because then they'd have access to those records that would show that they stole all his money and all the bad health care 
and neglect that they did. So that's why the, the judges won't allow people to become guardian once they get into this situation. It's all about money. It's all about mm-hmm. money. And and the Baylor attorneys were blatant. They would be in the courtroom for every single hearing, and they would actually brush past my family to get up to the front to visit with the judge. My own attorney, who had withdrawn a year earlier, would be there and meet with them, and my ex-husband's attorneys, and and they would all be up there and and meet and uh, decide what their next strategy would be, and they would Mm -hmm. get She's out again. Oh, goodness. Uh, well, we've got about four minutes here. I, I'm sorry. You cut way out there, dear. Um, I'm sorry. That's all right. You told me enough to bring me to tears. Uh, My son was 24 when he died. And, you oh, know, the God. thing is, the only resource we have is we need to sue the judges, sue the ad items, mm-hmm. and sue the guardians. Mm-hmm. And go after mm-hmm. them, put them in court. They need to be and, you know, in prison. Our only, every one of them. That's our only recourse yeah. is to go after them, and and but you know what, put them under yeah, the gun. We gotta, but, but we got to find a lawyer who's them. not afraid. You know. It's yeah, hard to find and a we need to I, I think what you what you're going to have to do because you're not going to get an attorney to do this. I, I don't believe you will. I've talked to one attorney out in Washington who is just death on this stuff, and I can talk to her and see maybe if she could possibly help from out there, at least advise us. Um, but I think this is what needs to happen, and I think this is where a, a constitutional tort does come into play. From what I know about that, and I'm not trying to pretend to be a, an attorney here, but I've done a lot of research on that. And this allows you to go after that civil servant or that public official and sue them personally and criminally for abrogating mm-hmm. your rights and for the harm I that they've caused. And, and, go ahead. Group out of four. If you can look up under mafia guardianship or um, I'm, I'm trying to think what else they're called. Um, I hate paper. A. Um, the okay. attorneys in all the states, and they will put them on your case, and then um, in and it will it's the Guardianship Justice Coalition Incorporated. Okay. And and they are a group. Oh. Oh yeah, we just had them in the chat room. Alpha yeah. Omega. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, and um, even, even ministers who are supposed to be under God's protection, as we all are if we're children of God, uh, are too afraid to even accompany me to to see my brother if I would be allowed. I mean, oh, and, me and, too. And, yeah. Exactly. No one would go with me. And I would have to go alone, and they um, would do the same thing. They'd tell me I broke the wheelchair. They would tell me that they were afraid of me, that I was going to attack them, that I used foul and abusive language, that I did all this. I didn't do any of that. And, oh, um, my brother and then had a seizure. I, they said I tried to kill him. They said you tried to uh-huh, kill your exactly. brother. Well, what did you do to him? I said I didn't do anything. That was the medicine you're giving him and the drugs. Exactly. Darn. We yep. We have 90 seconds left here. Uh, this went way fast. Um, I'm hoping everybody that was signed into the chat room 
Um, Ms. Humphrey, I hope you'll contact me through Two Squad Radio at Gmail. I'd like to get you to uh, schedule to come on the show. Um, but um, we've got a lot of people out there. We've got to find uh, some help here. We've got to figure a plan. And uh, I want to thank everybody who was in the chat room and all the good commenting and questions. Um, <laughs> uh, I just... Uh, uh, I, I'm just stunned by all of this. It, it makes me sick at my stomach to hear what people have, <coughs> excuse me, have gone through. We'll get this worked out. We'll find the way out of this. I don't know what it is right at this moment, but we're working on it. Uh, like again, Gar, thank you so much for doing this. I know thank it you. was hard on you, and um, yeah. I, everybody else. Thank you again for tuning in and for all the commenting. We'll be back tomorrow night with Tom Fields. Uh, I hope a lot of you can make it for that one. He's an advocate uh, that works with the legislature on all this stuff. So we'll say good night for now. And Gar, good night, and thank you so much. Thank you.